been out on the road Waiting for a new episode We've been thinking of you Just what you need Oh yeah, yeah Now that the show's underway I guess we can't call it a day You're ready for The Bowfinger Show Welcome back to another episode of the Bowfinger Minute Podcast. Each week, Movies by Minute hosts examine the 1999 Frank Oz-directed comedy Bowfinger. One minute of screen time per episode. I am your host this week. My name is Paul Francis Sullivan. I am a veteran podcaster who is doing the uh, Lockdown MLB podcast all the time. And if you like my Movies by Minute world... I was the host of the Bull Durham Minute, uh, and I've been a frequent guest on many podcasts. I'm an Emmy-nominated television producer, and I've appeared on a lot of things. Uh, you, If you've listened to this point, this is my third episode. You should probably know who I am by this <laughs> point. I'm your pal Sully, is what it is. Uh, on today's episode, we are covering minutes. I said it before. On today's episode, we're covering Minute 43 which begins with Bowfinger saying it's time to turn around and shoot the other angle in the parking lot and ends in the edit room where Carol asked to have a word or two alone with Bowfinger. Well, I want to have a word or two alone with our guests here, who I have known now for a decade and a half. Uh, he was a, a co-producer with me on the probably the single most fun television job I've ever had in my life, a show that I guarantee you've never heard of. The greatest um, show on Versus ever. It was the show uh, Sports Unfiltered with Dennis Miller. We, chat, for chat. about a couple of months, we wrote comedy sports lines for Dennis Miller. He's a, uh, well, he is an incredibly qualified person to be in this podcast, as well as being a talented television writer. You've earned author you've written about film you've done many many things and you are uh like me a rabid baseball fan but rabid. unlike me you are michael x ferraro welcome to hey. the podcast hey thank you please call me sully ah. no don't do don't do that it's great to be here sully yeah um i uh i like your substitute teaching podcasting gig here with bowfinger and uh, I don't think I've talked to you since uh, the Bull Durham. It's been a Bull Durham minute since I talked to you, Sully. That's true. That's right. Yes, I did the Bull Durham minute, the, and you've been on the Bull Durham minute. So tell tell people a little bit more about some of your film writing and your film background before we jump, we cannonball into uh, this minute of Bowfinger. Let's do a cannonball run uh, minute later. Oh, um, mate, but, yeah, that's from the producer of The Godfather, the cannonball right. run. <laughs> and uh, back to school, because there's a good cannonball in there, isn't there? Yeah, okay, right, yeah. but uh, no, that's right. We we did Sports Unfiltered with Dennis Miller. And we, of course, we're both living off those residuals, so we get to pick <laughs> and choose what we do. 
which yeah. is tremendous. Uh, no, uh, I, uh, yeah, writer and producer in the TV wilds, but also have done a, f- a fair bit of film writing in my day. I uh, wrote for American Cinematographer, uh, did some pieces for the Los Angeles Times in the calendar section, uh, did a thing for Film Threat way back in the day. And uh, yeah, this is uh, this is so fun to jump into uh into Bowfinger territory with you. I never knew about Film Threat. Back in when I was actually, I was still working at The Daily Show and I was a producer on The Daily Show in a, a billion years ago. And I wrote a thing for Film Threat about it was shortly after uh, Gladiator had won the Oscar for Best Picture. And I, I detested that movie. I never liked the movie Gladiator. Mm. And I did a whole thing about I was trying to figure out if it was the worst Best Picture winner of all time. And I no. came to the conclusion, by no. far, no. By Crash. far, no. Crash. Well, Crash hadn't come out at that point. Okay. Because this, was, this, was, this article came out in 2001. I gotcha. think at the time I had determined that Around the World in 80 Days was oh, sure. the worst one. Because that was... That was essentially the cannonball run. It was just a road yeah. trip with a lot of celebrities in it. It was like a it, and and it is just <laughs> endless and joyless and yeah, you know, it's a mad, 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 mad world without the jokes and with hot air. I know, uh, you know, that's actually and it's and it was it. There were some good movies that came out that year, and. And the, I think I think Giant won Best Director that year. There was one okay. year where Giant. It was either the year that Greatest Show on Earth or both years, like there were George Stevens twice won Best Director right. for films that were much better than the films that won. One sure. year it was The Greatest Show on Earth and the other it was, I believe it was the year Around the World in 80 Days came out and the director went to George Stevens, one for A Place in the Sun and the right. other for Giant. And I think Giant's a masterpiece. Absolutely. I'm a huge fan of Giant. And you and and it's still it's still a very relevant movie. It's not I, when I went to see it, I thought it was essentially going to be like you know an episode of Falcon Crest or something. That's right, like that. it did. But, it had that vibe very much. But, but it also it, there was a lot more going on under the surface, not just the oil in the film. And it's a really wonderful movie. And comparing it to the the train wreck that yes. was not there, I guess the train wreck should have been for Great Show <laughs> on Earth for the balloon wreck, right. That was um, around the around world in eighty days. Not, so boring. Not it's based so on the Prince dull. song. It wasn't based on the Prince song. Was if it? only. Yeah. If only. Yeah, yeah. You know, right. the only part I remember even perking up in that whole movie was Frank Sinatra's cameo in the film. Right. And even that right. was a silent bit that lasted like four seconds. So, yeah. like, hey, Frank Sinatra, I'll be darned. That's it. Bye. Yeah. Yeah, the you cast know. in Giant was amazing too. Cast amazing. Giant was great, but anyway, I mean, so I wrote a thing, and I was like, I realized, oh, there have actually been a lot worse, you know, films that have won Best Picture than Gladiator. Gladiator, I just my biggest problem with Gladiator was there were big fight scenes, and I couldn't tell what was happening. And I also never bought the whole like the emperor would get into the ring with a slave. I was like, the emperor just killed that guy for me, thanks. But yeah. So, uh, welcome to Gladiator Minute. Uh, <laughs> uh, what is your history with Bowfinger? Uh, nice. Did you see it in the theater? Did you? Uh... I did. I did see it in the theater, and I was living in Los Angeles at the time, and it had one. Uh, I my first job, Sully, was for TV Titan Don Olmeyer, who is no longer wow. with us, and uh, so I, I worked for Don for a few years, and I distinctly remember I worked on a 
on a TV movie. I did some research called The Heroes of Desert Storm. So I did I did a lot of research and talked to some vets, talked to uh, uh, Guy Hunter, who was the first POW, really great man. And then the, so the screenwriter took myself and the other researcher to lunch at La Dome. So that's not the minute we're doing in Bowfinger, but, to but do that's where Le- Robert Downey Jr. was in that scene. Yeah, exactly. And so just to just to sort of, you know, and I think I had been there six or seven years previous. So so I was here in L.A. when that was the Hollywood and, and when cell phones came about, like from car phones to cell phones. So, uh, yeah, I love that. I'm a huge Steve Martin fan, obviously, and a huge Eddie Murphy fan. Mm-hmm. Huge, huge Christine Bransky fan, huge, huge Heather Graham fan, huge Frank Oz fan. Come on, yeah, come on. It's a lot going on there. That's right. Yeah, and uh, it's funny when um, I wanted to, and I just you know full disclosure, I asked a lot of people to be guests on, and the response I wanted to get, I got res- get, I asked some other people as well, um, and you know victor vernada was on the day before i knew i wanted victor on because he had worked with eddie murphy but the minute i asked him say have you seen bowfinger said i love bowfinger it's a great and i asked a couple other people um and some people were great would have been great guests but i said like oh i haven't seen it in a while or oh i never got around to seeing it so i asked you michael ferraro and right. what was your response when I said, <laughs> have you seen Bowfinger? Do you remember Bowfinger? I do. Not only, yeah. So my response was, have I seen Bowfinger? Hmm. Well, can I tell you, I had a rotisserie baseball team, pre-fantasy baseball, and my team's name was Chubby Rain. Because, <laughs> so that was that was how deep I was in. To, yeah, that's uh, what I said. Was, that's, I was thrilled. I was like, we yes. got, we got one. I'd, to paraphrase Annie Potts in Ghostbusters, we got one. We got <laughs> or you one. you can say, gotcha, sucker. Gotcha. Uh-huh. Um, so let's just talk a little bit. And, and what, obviously you're a fan of the film. Yes. You know, and, uh, and you know, I, I said in a previous minute that this is kind of a – a time capsule because the whole idea of wanting to make your own film and the, the travails of getting equipment and everything like that, that you had to do if you want to be a really low budget independent filmmaker, mm-hmm. we don't have that problem anymore. That's you right. could get, I mean, the, the, the big chunks of this film was how do you get the permit to do this? How do you get the, how do you sneak around getting the equipment for that? How do you get your film developed for this? It's like, you don't have to worry about that anymore. I mean, I think mm-hmm. Bowfinger would be making would be like a YouTube sensation right now. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, right in, in the deep fake world too. But yeah, it, it's a it's a really fascinating timepiece, and I mean, I think Steve Martin was was prescient in a lot of ways too. Yeah, um, with 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 seeing where it was going, seeing where all this stuff was going. Do you remember when you and I were working on Sports Unfiltered with Dennis Miller? That was also the same time my film got its limited release that I directed. Do you remember that? I'll believe you saw the inside of a few theaters. In fact, I left. I remember we were, had a writing session. I said, if you excuse me, I'm going to go to a movie theater and watch my movie. That's and right. I had that three-week window where my film was in the theaters. Yeah. And after that three weeks, it was pulled up to be heard of or seen again. But, uh, but you know, it was, uh, you know, I think that's really, that's a sort of the struggling to get your indie film seen and distributed is really, that's a relic. That's, that's a thing for the past. I mean, you, mm-hmm. I mean, you could, 
you're still struggling to find an audience, but to shoot it and get eyeballs on it, you know, I mean, I bet more people are going to, you know, w- you know, watch a video I post for Lockdown MLB than sat in the movie theater to watch the movie. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's you're absolutely right. And did Hench had his film at the same time too? Yeah, Hench yeah. He, Hench came out like a month or so after mine did. So yeah, so yeah, so yeah, mine's still was... in the pipeline somewhere. Cha cha, cha cha. All right, let's let's talk a little bit about uh, let's talk a little bit about this minute because I happen to love this sequence because you yeah. know I mean we had the scene with the the you know Betsy the dog with the the high heels on it. Uh, mm-hmm. But you're right. You know, it's like now we, they'd be using deep fake technology to take uh, Eddie Murphy's face and put it on someone right. else. But now they had to sort of, you know, they had to sneak and have a dolly track in the in the freaking parking lot. Um, yep. And I just love the whole, you know, let's turn it around and shoot Christine Brands, you know, shoot Carol as Christine Bransky yeah. in the same spot and through the miracle of editing it really looks you know you could make it look like that is it yeah i mean yeah montage is a beautiful thing right you know it's it's eisenstein meets antonioni meets larry david the seinfeld episode of the parking garage right yeah like (laughs) the the way that they pulled it all together is truly a beautiful thing and let's just hear for christine baranski's eyes i mean betty davis eyes but her eyes and eyebrows in this one my god yeah, well, that's the uh, – um, you know what the Kulishoff, uh experiment is? I think I'm pronouncing it right. The, the Kulishoff. It's a, it's a Russian – it's a, 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 it's a Russian um, film editing experience from the, early, from the silent movie era of which mm-hmm. they would have like a man kind of staring blankly and they would cut to like a bowl of soup or they would – or they would cut to a – uh, you know, same expression, and they'd cut to a graveyard. And so because of the juxtaposition, you think in this shot he's hungry, in this shot he's mourning for his wife. But in reality, it's just the same shot, and your mind is making the the, the emotions, The emotions right. evoked. Sure, absolutely. Just and, like adding music to a, a film. Yeah. Right, right. And, if you, and there's classic things like I guess someone did – a cut of The Shining as if it was a kind of a uh, a feel good campy yeah. feel good <laughs> story about a father connecting with his son, and then there's another which is uh, someone re-edited Mary Poppins as a horror film, you know, just yeah, sort yeah. of and 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 it's all just based upon the juxtaposition of images, and of course here you see, you know, what is done with her walking alone and the stolen footage and it sort of creates this uh you know it's totally phony and yet it's it's this it shows that it shows that everything in film is phony I, yeah a million percent i mean i just watched I, i'd be curious to hear your thoughts on babylon but i just i haven't seen it yet. actually haven't seen okay it yet. Yeah. but i mean obviously it's not um it's not anything new or wildly unique to talk about how Hollywood is, you know, it's based on fakery and, and all this stuff. But yeah, what it's what, what Steve Martin, like going next level with, with, with this, like just by, I mean, we were just talking about another scene. I was, you know, we we're talking, I was talking about the scene in the dome where Steve Martin is, is bluffing to Robert Downey Jr. And he's got his fake cell phone there. Those kind of things really did happen. Like you, yeah. you could get greenlit on a lie. And then, then you'd go around and you'd, you'd 
contact the person that was attached to it. So, I mean, to, to do the same kind of thing with the actual visuals, with the actual visual or the, uh, the, the music or whatever it is, and creating that collage, you're creating a new reality, right? And, and but so much of this film is about phonies and like the phonies exist on all levels, whether it's the 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 Scientology, you know, clone that's in the film or mm -hmm. executives or movie stars or even the people who are trying desperately to make that, you know, that, you know, that independent film where you just need a star to sell it. Well, we'll just do it every way. No one's sincere. And not even right. the ingenue off the bus is sincere as she jumps from, you know, jumps from, oh, is it oh, the oh, actor? The no, chain. it's the writer. No, it's, it's she goes right up the food chain, um, yeah. which is why I think Christine Baranski's performance, even in this scene, is so great in that she's so self-important. Right. She's so freaking pompous. Yeah. You know, that, that there's a, the way that, she, you know, you know, the way, you know, she's watching this ridiculously campy performance and like what her eyes are widening and she's super into it and everything. And she says, we work so well together. Yes. Somebody I mean, she's never met. She's never met. She's never had a conversation with, and she has to have this pomposity about her. And the funny thing is that she taps into the only honest thing in the entire scene, which is she says, he really looks scared because he is. That's right. Because he That's is. Right. Yes. But yeah. She has no context. Like all, her, her entire world is her performance in this right. film. That is her entire context. And you and I have met people like that, men and women who are sure. performers. And, you know, I, I may have made this in that. I can't remember if I mentioned this with Victor, but, you know, a, a, there's certain kind of actor just focuses the entire world the entire planet on themselves sometimes in a ridiculous manner and uh, i can't think of any other better example if i and listeners if i've repeated the story forgive me i can't always remember what i say from episode to episode but there was a moment when lincoln was assassinated and we he was assassinated by an actor you know john wilkes booth spoiler alert and he was he was shot at ford's theater and of course there was just abject panic and of course, I can't help but think about the actor who was on stage who had another good line coming up. But apparently one of the actors, either in the play who were, or who was in attendance, kind of threw her elbows around to try to make it to the president so she could cradle his body mm. and be seen. Sure. Like, it's important. I got to be seen that I'm comforting the shot president of the United States. Not that that's Mary Todd Lincoln's job. No, as husband, no, no. As, as, as her husband's shot. Or, yeah. you know, anybody else, you know, but like, no, everyone has to see that this actress, she was trying to be seen. She was trying to have this moment of how do I have this be my, my page six moment, you know. That's beautiful. I did, yeah, I did the, not know that story. The equivalent yeah. of Courtney Cox running up wanting to be seen holding the dying president, you know. <laughs> I'm going to go more with Sean Young showing Sean, up. Sean Young showing up at Tim Burton's. By the way, okay. by the way, um, I would watch a nine-part Ken Burns documentary where the only <laughs> interview subject is Sean Young. 
Okay. Sean Young, you don't have to <laughs> give a crap. You don't have to nope. care at all. Just tell us everything that's happened. And, you know, it would just be, I, I could just watch, because she probably has stories like crazy. You bet. And, she would yeah. have been great in the Bransky role, actually. I, you know, yeah. Come to think of it. I was just going to, yeah, but not to take away from Bransky. Bransky no, no, Br but. Bransky, well, look, this was that period of time. Obviously, Bransky uh, was in a thousand things at this time. And then later, mm -hmm. of course, did The Good Wife. And, you know, um, and she kept popping up. Right. And there was a, it's funny, this um, this film almost was a response to her, you know, ubiquity <laughs> that period of time. You know, like this sort of, like, like she was kept popping up in every movie and, you know, and every time when you had to have a really, you know, a, a classy comedic performer. Yeah. And this just was sort of like a heightened version <laughs> of what, you know, if the, if if she didn't have the success that she had, would this have been who she would have become? And she clearly was tapping into something real. And yeah. She and Stephen Tobolowsky in that era, they were yes. just, they were in, they were in everything. And that was peak Tobolowsky Baranski. <laughs> the next the convergence. Yeah. They hope they must have done something together. Just the Ooh. odds for the number of films that they did. Maybe this should be my homework assignment when I talk to either Todd Anderson or, or what would they? I'd, I'd just like you. I'd like you to be the guest host on my Baranski Tobolowski podcast. <laughs> yes, minute Baransky by minute. Tobolowski, yeah, sing it. But uh, yeah, I mean, like you and I both know people like this, and we also know people who are really talented. I know a bunch of very talented actors mm -hmm. who never got the big break. And right. it had nothing to do with their talent and nothing to do with their drive. It right. all had to do with, and, and a lot of it is dumb luck. It isn't to say that the people who are successful actors are talentless and just lucky. You know, you have to have talent. You have to have the drive, but you also have to, there, there has to be like a Venn diagram of things. Like I know people who have not been cast in something because they've already cast the part of the brother and the brother looks like this. You have to look like you're related to them sure. or you're too tall for this co-star or or, you know, we're trying to check every sort of ethnic box and you don't check this ethnic box. I'm not doing I'm not playing reverse racism card, but I'm saying there are people that there are boxes that are checked and. Mm -hmm. You know, so there are people, and of course, for generations, if you you know weren't a white person, you weren't getting cast in anything except in specific roles. I'm sure every right. Korean actor in the world in the 1980s watched Remo Williams' The Adventure Begins and saw the making of where Joel Gray had to sit in the makeup chair for five hours to become the Korean Chun. Said, or let me hop in on that real quick, though. You could have been. You could have been. You could have hired a Korean guy. Well, I was just going to say, while, while you and Hench were making your future films, I did make a 45-minute short in their, uh, the late 90s, early 2000s, uh, starring a, a young Daniel Day Kim, who is a friend of mine. And, and Dan is just killing it now, obviously. And, uh, yeah, your, your, your point is spot on. Yeah. But there are people who just don't, you know, have, you know, you can get, if you and I say we're going to put out a casting call, mm -hmm. especially here in Los Angeles, and right. say, you know, let's, we need someone to play this small part. The quality of actors we're going to see is going to be incredibly high. 
because there's just a lot of really good actors, a lot of talented actors who, you know, uh, you know, who slipped through the cracks. I mean, one of my favorite stories of a good, solid working actor that a director saw the potential in and mm-hmm. turned into something great was F. Murray Abraham. And mm-hmm. F. Murray Abraham was cast in Amadeus in a small role as one like the like one of the chamberlains of the emperor, like one of the people, you know, one of the the, the kiss asses to the emperor. And okay. Amadeus was a very high profile play. Milos form it was the producer and director of Cuckoo's Nest. One of Cuckoo's Nest were taking this very high profile play, and a lot of very big name actors were vying for the part of Salieri. Mm-hmm. And a couple of times, Milos Foreman would have uh, F. Murray Abraham read with the potential Mozarts. Just, okay. you know, like, not your, your cast as the chamber, but read Salieri. Yeah. And he realized, as he said, F. Murray Abraham was Salieri. He uh, was this incredible actor. Yeah. Who w- was watching these other people become more famous and better known. And he said, why don't I tap into that? Uh. But Eric, and Eric Stoltz had been Salieri, right? Eric Stoltz was Salieri. Yeah, see, Eric Stoltz got written out of every <laughs> classic movie of the eighty. He was written yeah. out of The Breakfast Club. He was mm-hmm. written out of Gandhi. He yep. was written out of The Color Purple. He was written yeah. out of uh, what other ones was he? Out of Africa. Oh, that's right. Yeah, Moonstruck. Right. <laughs> the Last Emperor. All these films originally starred Eric Stoltz. Breaking Two, Electric Boogaloo, RoboCop. Yeah, you know all of these films. Missing in Action. <laughs> he got fired. Every one of those films, Eric Stoltz got fired from. Yeah, every single one. Sorry to sorry to yeah. bring that up. I know. Yes. Sorry to bring it up. Yes. Sorry. We are living in the Stoltzverse. Hey, by mm-hmm. the way, um, I don't know. Like when when we worked on our shows, everything had become digital. Uh, like right. digital editing and everything like that. Had you ever worked with like the, cause they were using the upright movie. I'd never used the upright movie. Oh, so I used the flatbed steambacks. You know, the oh. six plate steambacks. He is the upright movieola, which is even more old school than the flatbed. Steambacks. Have you ever worked with like a, a like a, where you're editing physical film before? Or was it always video or digital editing? I did no, and so I went to Boston University. I was in the film and TV department, so you I don't did, have to brag. I, you don't have to brag. I, I, got, I got Boston University. Uh, you know, we got Howard Stern, Pee Wee Herman, Dr. Martin Luther King, and Michael Ju- X. Ferraro, Julianne Moore. The list goes on. Jason Alexander from the parking lot of uh, uh, the parking lot scene. By the way, uh, so I, so that was the last time I edited. I wanted to drop this word on you, Sully. I, I did some research for the episode. Mm-hmm. Ting Chichang phobia. Ting Chichang phobia. Fear of, I will tell you, it's a fear of parking lots. Fear of parking lots. I. That's real? That's a real thing. I looked it up because I was curious. I've actually had moments of existential dread, like in an LAX parking lot when I was five levels down. Uh, this is in the 90s, and I, I don't know what happened. I missed, I missed a flight. I kid you not, because the shuttle bus never showed up. So I feel for Eddie Murphy. I'm sure you've talked. You've ta- there's a lot of Eddie Murphy talk in Bowfinger, of course, but we haven't talked about him at all. Yeah, well, let's go. Um, You're here. Think- We're still recording. Yes. My- <laughs> oh, I see. I thought this was the after party. <laughs> no, no. We're still going. We haven't. I haven't said goodbye yet. Oh, that's a good point. Um, one thought that I just had was, I mean, to, 
that Eddie, and you, you said your friend Victor was in what is arguably Eddie Murphy's and perhaps the world's worst film, uh, Pluto Nash. That's right uh, up there. But Eddie Murphy, a massive talent, and I think he's still, I think he still might get his Oscar. I think he's, and I'd like to see him do character work, which I don't know if he's going to do that. But it just occurred to me that I mean, like small character work. Like I love when Brad Pitt's, like I love you know Brad Pitt and True Romance. Like let, let's let's have Eddie do a couple of those. Yeah, I mean, there's a story. It might be apocryphal, but it was uh, um, it was said by uh, um, Nick Nolte. Why would he lie to us? Um, Nolte, here's your goddamn dinner. Apparently, and obviously the two of them did the two 48 Hours films together. And mm -hmm. at some awards ceremony that Eddie Murphy was like a presenter at, um, Nick Nolte had just done the film, the Paul Schrader film, Affliction, which mm -hmm. uh, he received, Nick Nolte received an Oscar nomination for, and James Coburn ultimately won the Academy Award for that film. And it's mm -hmm. a, I mean, it's, a, it's, I remember, I saw it, when it came out, I don't really remember it that well. I do remember it was um, not fun. Right. It wasn't a good date film. It's not like, honey, <laughs> let's curl up under the quilt, get some Haggadahs, throw the top away, and just snuggle up watching Affliction. Um, right. But I remember it being a very, very well-made movie. And apparently Eddie Murphy saw it and was, you know, really blown away by it and blown away by the performance. And you know, he kind of cornered Nick Nolte at one of these awards ceremonies and said, like, I loved Affliction. I thought it was a great movie. He said, I got to make a movie like that. How do I make, how do I get involved in a film like that? Of which Nick Nolte said, well, Eddie, you got to know that the entire movie costs less than your asking price. Of which yeah. Eddie says, well, I can't lower my asking price. He said, then you're never going to do a movie like Affliction. And I That's think right. shortly after that, he did Meet Dave or Pluto Nash, or the, or you know, one of the other, you know, yeah. clump movies or something. And again, I don't besmirch a man for m making their money. You know, if who, you're, you know, who I, do you besmirch? Who do you besmirch? Um, I'll tell you. Are you what a, I, 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 I besmirch. Here's what I slightly besmirch, though. I wish are you a member? Before you do, are you a member of the John Besmirch Society? Yes, and, and boy, the, let me tell you something. We've been misunderstood. Um, I wish he did one for the show and one for the dough. That's I right. I wish he would do like, yeah, you could do, you know, Naughty Professor three or Doctor Doolittle two or whatever, and right. then do one film that challenge you or like or that have him have the way that Bill Murray has found his Wes Anderson. You know, right. I wish that Eddie Murphy would find that director that he could just sort of go places you're not expected. We see that he could still do it. I mean, you, I mean, yep. he probably should have won the Oscar for dream girls, but they, they gave it to Alan Arkin who is great in little Miss sunshine. I'm not, sure. that was a little bit of, we probably should have given Alan Arkin an Oscar long before this, you know, right. and, and it was, there was a little bit of playing catch up there. Eddie Murphy is going to eventually win an Oscar. We all know that if he, all he has to do is make that one film that is, that kind of pushes it and makes us be surprised the way that he did with dream girls. Um, right. I wonder how much of his character in Bowfinger is kind of who he was in that sort of, you know, 
party all the time through Harlem right. nights, you know, when he just seemed to be, no one sure. would say no to him. Yeah. And we didn't see his best work. And it was clearly, it, it was clearly that point in a, in a biopic where things started to go out of control. <laughs> it was like Rick James is producing a song for, I mean, it was yeah. just, you know, you know, he he was cultivating such a great you know comedy uh sort of uh, uh body of work early right. on which i which i've equated to groucho marx mm. that groucho marx did comedy where he took down uh, uh very uh, snooty institutions, whether it was the university and horse feathers, whether it was you know uh, the 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 opera, the opera, the mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know uh, nations and duck soup, That's you know right. the sort of the snooty vacation worlds and the coconuts, and that he was right. always taking on the the best ones were when Groucho was in a little, little bit of a position of power. And sure. he could f around with people, but that yeah. whole "I'm taking people down," I'm taking something snooty down. That's Groucho. That's Bugs Bunny, and right. the best Bugs Bunny ones, and the best moments in Forty Eight Hours and um, Beverly Hills Cop, and especially Trading Places, were sure. the points where he could take down sort of the in 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 a you know take down people in a very very funny way. And man, I miss that Eddie Murphy like crazy. But I wonder if that Eddie yeah. Murphy's even possible anymore because we right. saw he became one of those snooty things. That's right. He can't you can't be a subversive element anymore once you're once you are the man, you know. Uh but I I think you're right. I think that was absolutely his his strong suit. And uh so so how would you cast him now? What uh I do you know, I that's where this is where we need to get a great director. To mm-hmm. say let's because he's Eddie Murphy is still a talented actor and performer and a movie star. Yeah. And this is where we need a talented director to say, I've got a vehicle for you. Because you could have said the same thing about Bill Murray when he yeah. was kind of a, a middle finger type comedian. And they found that sort of way to play him is certainly in Rushmore. Bill Murray, yeah, Bill Murray found his Wes Anderson. What what if Eddie Mur what if Eddie went with the Safdie brothers? Kind of what what they did with you know Sandler and Uncut Gems. Like God, that was I a mean, great yeah. I mean, yeah. That's not a comedic that, performance. Oh, that's but, a great example. That's a great yeah. example. They found a way to take Sandler's energy and on screen right. uh on screen right. presence and not go for the goofy laugh, but go for the intensity. Yeah, I mean, if he had his uncut gems, right. his Rushmore, you right. know, it's fine. I don't think Steve Martin has had that either. You know, Steve Martin no. is kind of similar that he had this great, great start yeah. to his career. And he still, you know, he still will make good things, but it's kind of frustrating that his body of work isn't as solid as you, you, you know, you'd like it to be. I think Steve is more like lately. Steve, I call him Steve. Steve yeah. Arino. Um, now more. I mean, his, his genius is more in his writing and contextualization. He he was never the charismatic comedic performer mm-hmm. that that Eddie or you know even Groucho. I would say you know it, it was well, more. 
Seinfeldian. I just something just hit me because Steve yeah. Martin had you know and Martin Short have the the vehicle they're doing the murders the only murders in the building. Right. I mean maybe that's maybe Eddie needs to have his character that he could sort of just completely you know the wear only, like a suit. The only murders in Mister Robinson's neighborhood. <laughs> There you go. I'll tell you what I don't want, and it and it's happening is another freaking Beverly Hills Cop movie. I mean that yeah. just sort of that just sort of screams like fat suit Elvis. You know, it's like, you know, I, I I'm just no 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 don't let stop. me pitch this. Let me pitch this. Director Martin Scorsese brings you Eddie Murphy and Joe Piscopo as Sinatra and Sammy Davis. I don't know, just. How, well, how I can it? go on. I can go on a rant about Piscopo. Not to not to <laughs> paraphrase our former employer Dennis Miller, but uh, you know what, Piscopo. Piscopo You're not Piscopo. Was, Piscopo You're not Piscopalian. Was good on Saturday Night Live. Piscopo right. was very good on Saturday Night Live. That's right. And Piscopo's career was, if he had sort of allowed himself to be, kind of fill that Phil Hartman sort right. of John Candy like supporting comedic performer when Johnny Dangerously came out the the uh, ad campaign was around him not Michael yeah. Keaton you right. know and Wise Guys with Danny DeVito the Brian De Palma film which has some laughs in it and mm -hmm. you know and and it's amazing he did a Eddie Murphy's in it he did a special called the New Jersey special that mm -hmm. um Piscopo did, it was either in 86 or 87, he left Saturday Night Live and he did a comedy special and it is one of the weirdest things you'll ever see, it is not funny at all, mm -hmm. it is certainly nobody said no to him, it's a sort of unchecked, I'm going to do a bunch of New Jersey jokes, but not even, yeah. New, it just was weird, and you're kind of watching it going like, why are you doing this and right. his career never went anywhere after that um, and again, he's worked and may we all have a career that has a success, but it's like you were on the verge of being like a really, really good supporting comedic actor who would like kind of the way that, you know, the best, I keep going back to John Candy because a lot of times he wouldn't be the star of the film, but he right. would come in and give the, you know, give it a big jolt of comedy, uh, you know, big, big boost of energy like stripes or you know or you they're, know, they're doing a john candy documentary now do you know that I mean, I, i'd love to see it and that but, was actually my my best job in show business sully i was 20 years old i was john candy's gopher for three days when he's doing a boston pops christmas special oh he was wow a prince he was a prince he pommeled well, me a hundred dollars at the end of the weekend well i mean i'm just saying that my point about Piscopo, and boy, that's right. a sentence I didn't think I was going to say. Um, <laughs> well, we're that, doing Bowfinger. You got to talk I Piscopo. I, he just is someone who, as someone whispered in his ear, you're a star, as opposed to you're a very good comedic actor. And it kind of went unchecked. And I, it makes me sad because he, he he was under, you watch those old Saturday Night Lives, he's undeniably good. He is right. undeniably funny. And, you know, I miss sometimes you're like, God, why be that guy? Right. Anyway. So um, any other thoughts? I mean, we, we've got we've gone off the rails here. <laughs> I, we knew bit. this was going to we knew this was going to happen. We knew we were going to go off the rails. We have. So uh, any other thoughts before we call this uh, before we call this an episode? Um, 
Well, you brought up your 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 future film that you directed, and, and one of the stars is is the is the great Chris Elliott, who I think yes. sort of in a weird way fits under the umbrella of. Well, he he was self aware, obviously. I mean, you know him. I don't know him, but I've, I've been yeah. a fan since the Letterman days. Like, the, and maybe the, maybe this doesn't make the edit, but I'm just fascinated by the way. And of course, his dad was comedy royalty, but the way that he forged his comedic persona on the air, like there was an insane delusion. Nality mm -hmm. to what he did, but it, so just Baranski's performance, uh, like like El, <laughs> when El, when Elliot would come on stage and David Letterman as Marlon Brando, and the way he would just sort of grin and leer at the crowd knowingly, as if I deserve your waves of that. He would say, "Which tree should I talk to? Is it this? Which tree?" He would call the cameras trees. I don't know. Yeah. Like, I just. You got any Chris Elliott? How do you weave him into this convo? Uh, he is someone who is, uh, I mean, when I worked with him, he could not have been nicer and he was funny and he, but he also would, it's, he would like playfully insult me in front of the crew, which I thought was hilarious, but he also would do anything. I mean, he was fearless and that, and I said literally in this case, because his scene was with live alligators and he was walking mm -hmm. around a bunch of live alligators as Eugene the Gator guy in our film. Um, and he, the, the alligators were real in our film. At one point, right. he was kind of walking around the gator and kind of smacking its nose. And the alligator would move. <laughs> and it made the scene look great because it was like, okay, it could have been a rubber alligator. that was sad, But when he whacked it, it was clear that, no, that's... Uh, um, you know, that was real. And he improvised a lot of things and he just was, he was, he was funny, but he was also, his character was like, had a beer. And so said, we get him a fake beer. I said, no, you get me a real beer. And he was just <laughs> had a few beers beforehand, but, um, but yeah, the, he had a sense that he knew he, on our little low budget film, which he was making fun of me in front of everybody. Um, he knew that I'm here to deliver something. That's and, right he delivered it and so and he knew that he was there because i talked about my love for him on letterman uh the guy under the seats and brando and all the stuff he it was yeah. so great so funny and telling you know and my respect for you know his dad from you know bob and ray and i loved cabin boy and i loved a lot of the stuff he did i because it was so just wackadoodle that's right and and he for you know was like okay you know then we're gonna go there and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you know, and, and I, I have nothing but respect for people who say, okay, my job is to, they pay me this money to be this guy. That's so right. I'm going to be this guy. Deliver. You're like, a, yeah, you're a pinch hitter. You're a plug and play. Yeah. And whether Go or not I was, take your cuts, whether or not I was a talented director or not, is not the point. I was, you know, he, it's, it's basically, if this film doesn't work, it's not going to be because I phoned it in. There you go. And uh, that, that says a lot about the man. It says a lot about you, that yes. you would let us go on these sort of tangents. Michael X Ferraro. Thank you. Where can people, um, you know, follow you? That's right. Ferraro Vision, F-E-R-R-A-R-O Vision on Instagram, the Twitter. I'm launching a new website with all my writings called the theferrarchives.com. 
the Fur Archives. Nice. And, uh, and they can always find me uh, near you in baseball season when my Phillies are sure to go back to the World Series in 2023. I love, I love your optimism. And by the way, <laughs> you'd follow me. I'm your pal, Sully. I'm at Sully Baseball on Twitter, Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram. Um, you can listen to my podcast, which is Locked on MLB, wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to go back and listen to my old show, which is the Bull Durham Minute, go ahead. If you can find, I'll believe you. Uh, great. Uh, yes. I think it's available on Amazon. I can't. I, I sometimes forget where the hell it is. That's kind of a businessman I am. Um, and everyone else, uh, remember, if you want to follow this podcast and social media, go to Welcome to Mindhead, the Bowfinger Minute Listener Center. That's on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter at Bowfinger Minute. And we're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or on the main site, which is bowfingerminute.com. And if you can, please like, subscribe, review the show at Apple Podcasts. Um, <laughs> if you also listen to the music, the music is done by Mr. Math. It is available on Spotify. And there are hundreds of Movies by Minute podcasts available at moviesbyminute.com. Check them out for some great shows. I pop up on a bunch of them all the time. And thank you so much for listening to Bowfinger Minute. Tomorrow we're going to be going through Minute 44. But in the meantime, keep it together. Chubby Rain Forever. Oh, sorry. Chubby Rain Forever. Keep it together. Keep it together. Together, children. I hope that we'll see you again. Cause there's always one more